Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. What's up, Christine? Hey, Boo. How you doing? Good. How How's baby Boo? Um, pretty great. We just got a uh, little recliner delivered from my wedding um, wedding registry. Yikes! From my uh, baby registry. Registries are the best. But uh, I'm my... sorry, your baby has a recliner. Well, it's like for nursing and stuff, you know. Oh. A, a the big, baby a big has adult. its own. Yes, the baby actually has its own loungewear, and you know, all I sorts. didn't know. I was like, if they, but you know, I love things that are not proportionally the right size. <laughs> no, and so like if there was a little butt. baby Barca lounger, I would have lost it. It's so. no, it's for my big butt, not a baby. Um, but yeah, so my beautiful mother-in-law bought it off, and father-in-law bought it off our registry. It was so so kind, and it just got delivered. And as Em knows, I was sitting here and I was like, I hear a man in my house, and of course Em was like, maybe <laughs> go check on that. But it turns out Blaze had it handled, so it's all good. And Christine went, I'm probably fine. <laughs> I was like, Nah, <laughs> let's just keep going. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, the maternal instincts not there <laughs> yeah, yet. Not, they're not here yet. That's okay. They it's haven't okay. arrived. They're they're late. That's okay. Uh, I apologize in advance for the mess that's behind. Oh me. God I still forbid! Have, I've been home for a week and I still have yet to um, unpack. It's Allison's favorite trait about me is how messy I am. So and you are okay. You literally judge my trash pile like every day. So don't even talk about being messy. I haven't seen your trash pile since you left LA. Well, I have your trash pile was pretty insane. Thank you. To be fair. I, it comes with me everywhere. <laughs> um, no, I this is all my stuff from when I was out of town. Um, so sorry in advance to that. Oh, I wanted to tell you about my time out of town. Yes, tell me, please. That. I'm going to eat my um dried mango here. Great. While you tell me, uh, while you regale me. Well, I just wanted to tell you mainly about the Lizzie Borden house. Yes! Um, if you guys haven't listened to the listener episode and mentioned it, does it come out? Wait, what's the date that this comes out? Oh, the listener episode has not come out yet, so they don't even know about this yet. So, yes, right. guess what? I went to Lizzie Borden house. I did. I, uh, I went there and I felt really bad that Christine wasn't with me. So I texted you as soon as I walked in. I Actually, had a slight, I, slight tear come down my face, but I was very excited for you, though. 
I um I texted Christine. I had to like go to the bathroom as soon as I got there because we had been driving for a while. And uh, I texted Christine. My pants are down at a murderer's house. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, I, honestly, I was. It was kind of like what I just did to you because I was like, all right, what are my steps? Next steps? Do I call the authorities? <laughs> do I do I start your funeral arrangements? Like, what do you want me to do? It was. I liked. I wanted you to play a little guessing game with yourself, and it worked. Uh, but no. <laughs> so I I went to the Lizzie Borden house and did an overnight stay and. It was a very odd experience. It was a cool experience, but it was still a very um, a borderline morally icky experience. Right. We did talk because, about that briefly. Yeah. And I'll, 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 wow, there's so many things I want to say about this. Um, yeah. It was really weird because the, the people who work there, the tour guides, I've never met people more of an expert in their field than people who have like dedicated their lives to the Lizzie Borden story mm-hmm. and are the the tour guides there i've gone to the the borden house before and anytime i've had a tour there i am just blown away by the amount of information they have like studied to be able to give you as many details as possible and this was the exact same um i the person that was on our tour with us they gave us a tour around seven o'clock at night it was like a two or three hour tour it was really in depth because we chose to stay there all night yeah and then after that you literally just had free reign of the house like oh, until sunrise cool. and it was a bed and breakfast so we woke up to the last meal that everyone at the, no. the Borden's ate well that's a so, little dark yeah yeah it was weird but i appreciated that they were trying to keep a theme going but what a, was the meal uh it was johnny cakes which were basically like crappy silver dollars um <laughs> <laughs> there was no sugar or anything it was just a dough dough circle uh but i i was like okay i'm I'm in the moment sure okay uh johnny cakes uh there was fruit uh cookies coffee and something else and the cookies were like biscuits i think but okay, okay. um i th- i will say some of the best pineapple i've had in years was out, out of that okay breakfast. that sounds good <laughs> there you have it uh and they make it in the kitchen like the actual lizzie borden kitchen where that's pretty cool that meal was cooked um, not the same stove, to be clear. It's a refurbished version of the same stove. So I feel no like the place would have burned down by now if it was the same energy. stove. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I, I, yeah, I had a really weird balance act going on in my mind the whole time I was there because I was having a really good time in the fact that, like, as someone who likes true crime, grew up with the Lizzie Borden story, obviously I was excited to be there, but I wanted to be as respectful as possible. And it felt really weird to be mm. in the house and... It wasn't just a tour where everything was roped off and encased in glass. Um, mm-hmm. It was, I was literally barefoot in my pajamas, just walking around. It was felt like I was house sitting, especially yeah. because after the tour, um, we hadn't eaten eaten yet, and they don't provide dinner. Although you can Postmates to the house, which is well, interesting. Can you imagine being a Postmates driver and being like, "Oh, not another one"? <laughs> well, we decided that we were just going to go try to find a restaurant in town, and we ended up going to like some hole in the wall, which was awesome, but. When we came back, I don't know what was going on, but every other person who booked a room, they went to bed. They didn't stay up to investigate. They didn't stay up to like just look around and like really appreciate that they're in this space for an unlimited I was surprised time. when you, fa- well, A, FaceTime me at 3 a.m. and I was definitely rejected your call. So if you are in some dire need, I will not be the one you should <laughs> call, which you probably already knew that. But, um, but you did FaceTime me and... Uh, I was surprised the next day when I talked to you and you were you were the only one awake looking around and exploring. I sent that surprised you a, me. I, I sent a video to Christine. I think I also sent it 
I don't know if I sent it to Eva. I don't. Did I send it to the group chat? Maybe you sent it to me. I don't know. Okay. Well, I, I, I did a video, just a walkthrough of the house because I was literally alone. My friend that came with me had gone to bed. Everyone else went to bed. I was, it truly felt like I was house sitting because there was no one in sight, no sounds except the ones I was making. I was just in the kitchen looking through the fridge because obviously uh, <laughs> like just right, just by myself in this house and to wow. remember that there was a murder there but i'm in bare feet walking on this yeah. the part where there was like up like blood at some point it really was very unsettling and it reminded me a lot we've talked about this before but the the concept of would you wear a murderer's shirt mm-hmm. because at the end of the day it's just a shirt there's nothing bad about the shirt but mm-hmm. because it belonged to someone with so much bad energy you almost make that connection to it and it felt that way of i'm walking around in this house that belongs to a really dark history and there's like two people who died here and so it was a really weird feeling i'm really glad i got to do it though especially because i went in full intentions to be as respectful as possible so i don't feel like i left with any i didn't leave any bad ties to Mm -hmm. the place but it was still very weird that like the couch where he was murdered on you could sleep there if you wanted like the rule was the rule was basically there are no rules the only rule was you couldn't go into other people's rooms when they were sleeping. Fair point. I mean, that was it. Um, but everything else was like, oh, yeah, well, he died on that couch. And they can't confirm it's the couch, although it is completely identical. Um, they found it at a, I guess, after the Bordens left the house. They Oh, like, interesting. They donated a bunch of their old furniture or put it in storage or something. And then only a couple years later, this exact identical couch that they've never found another copy of uh-huh. that was right down the road and was upholstered the exact same way and everything happens to be there. And they brought it back into the house. Got it, it just, there's a very large chance it's the same couch. But um, yeah, it was just weird that I had full reign of a place that was, I was told I, like in a museum, you're not allowed to touch anything. And they were no. literally like, go in the basement, like fuck around with stuff, like whatever you want to do, like we don't care. And one of the things that I found, which I forgot to send you pictures before right now, but I'll, I'll send them to you as we're talking. I found this, uh, we, we were digging through, um, there was like a bunch of framed pictures that hadn't been hung yet. And I was looking through some of these old frame pictures that were just kind of leaning against a wall. And in between them, like, were, I guess, just to keep it preserved or so it wouldn't bend or anything. But it wasn't in its own case. It wasn't in its own plastic or it wasn't framed. It was just kind of in between two framed pictures. There was a literal newspaper from 1892. And it was the one with, like, that was, it had, like, a, the front page story of Lizzie Borden uh. killing her family which it makes me feel like that was the paper that like that came to Lizzie Borden's house. Uh, um, really freaked me out. And also, I just want to say it was a bad week in Fall River, Massachusetts, because they really only paid attention to that as the front page, the like front page news. But on that same front page news, like a little baby got like caught by an eagle and <gasps> fell off a cliff. Like what? There was like like thirty million dollars in eighteen ninety two got stolen from a train or something like it was a bad week. What? But <laughs> Lizzie Borden was Earth. the only thing people cared about. She fucking took the cake, the Johnny cake. She, <laughs> she did. Okay, here, here, here's the pictures. I'm gonna send them to you now. But we, it was just wild because I was literally holding pictures of like I shouldn't have been allowed to touch this. There's no uh. way. And I was like, how is this not encased in glass? Okay, add. Jeez, what is wrong with me? Am I like an old person now? Send. Okay, yes. I'm saying that too. Okay. The answer is yes. Um, 
I just took as many pictures as I could of it because I was like, I should not be allowed to touch this. Like, this is literally from 1892. I felt like Nicolas Cage holding the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I was like, how is this not falling apart in my hands? But it it was just personal. My text. I sent I texted it to you, but it's still it's got the little blue bar. I'll wait. Um, I'll wait. It's cooking. Hang on. But that's interesting, though, because you think about like you wouldn't be able to go to say like. I, I don't think at least like a family who was slaughtered or killed in the last like couple years and like sleep on their cow. You know what I mean? Like I think it's the time yeah. and the fact that it's become such an like a urban like a, a mythos around it. I don't know. I think that probably adds to it. Did they just send to you? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. Hang on. Do you know what I mean though? No, it's it's so it It's so wild. And it was it was the thing that was crazier though is that like I felt like I could just take this stuff from the house if I wanted to and no one would have known. It was like how why is this just lying around? I'm assuming people will want to see this if they're on YouTube. Yeah. We can also send this to our um Oh yeah, we can probably put this in the Instagram, yeah. right? Yeah. Wow, this is cool though. I mean, it was just like I was literally holding it like I was at a table and reading it. Uh. And I was like the fact that someone Someone found this in 1893 or 1892 and kept it. It's 100 years older than me. And I was just reading it. I was like, that sh- this shouldn't be allowed. And I was reading it in Lizzie Borden's basement Whoa. where she hid the murder weapon. And it's it was an actual like, paper? It's not like a it's copy? It's the, the paper. <gasps> like, the paper. Wow. And if you flip to one of those pages, this, the one that looks like this, it's the yeah. $5,000 reward that Lizzie Borden put in for, like, <gasps> looking for the murderers of her parents. <gasps> Which is so wild. It says, $5,000 reward. The above reward will be paid to anyone who may secure the arrest and conviction of the person or persons who occasioned the death of Mr. Andrew J. Borden and wife. Signed, Emma J. Borden and Lizzie A. Borden. I love and wife. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Well, it was was actually their stepmom. People don't talk about that a lot, but it was. Yes, it's true. Anyway, I talked a lot about it. But the last thing I want to say is if you want to get as fired up as I am about the Lizzie Borden house, um unfortunately this tour that we did is not going to be around anymore because the house is being sold to another person who apparently is making some grave changes to the way that this place is run and so right now it's just overnight tours and the people who work there are very uh like i said they're like all they do is research lizzie borden stuff they're huge fans and huge experts and they take it as respectfully as possible apparently they've made their own friendly relationships with the spirits there and so it's just kind of like a happy little space where you know nothing's going on but the new hands that are taking on this house Mm. apparently are going to make this into a sideshow at least that's what the people who work there told me they are pissed they clearly are losing their jobs in a couple weeks and have no problem letting people know how this is going to go. And apparently there's going to be an axe throwing game outside the house. Yikes. Um, apparently the new people are also getting, are trying to get a liquor license. So that way drunk people can go in there and talk oh, to spirits. Yikes. And throw axes. Oh boy. Yeah. Imagine you, you died from an axe and now in the house where you died, there's an axe throwing game. There's people outside. like taking shots and like throwing. I mean, yikes. Yeah. It's a little, icky. yeah. It's very icky. And so um, I guess the other the new guy is more interested in the ghosts of the house versus the history. That's what, that's how it was said to me. And so uh, in the words of one of the people who worked there, if the new managers wanted this house to shake with ghosts, he's going to get that then. Because all of uh-huh. the ghosts are just going to be pissed that these drunk people are I fucking guess that's around what their they house. Want. So anyway, I didn't have any super spooky experiences. 
But I did hear that Zach Bagans, when he was there, he actually ran out of the house at two in the morning, despite what the episode looks like. Fun <laughs> uh, but anyway, I've spoken a lot about this. Sorry. But I just wanted no. to tell you guys, like, I literally touched the newspaper that I'm pretty sure Lizzie Borden was holding. Like, how else did it end up in that house? So that is really, really why. I mean, that's really wild. <sighs> anyway, there you go. The end. <laughs> and that's yeah, why yeah. I have a mess in my room. I've been waiting to hear about this. I'm so glad I finally got the story. Got the scoop, you know? Well, there you have it. I'm sorry for completely taking over the uh, the intro of this. But no, it was well-deserved. I saw a lot of people asking me to talk about it, and I kept saying to wait until the episode came out. So there you have it. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, anyway, I've got a story for you. Can you ask me why I drink? Sorry. Oh, yes, I can. Sorry. I. What do you? Why do you drink? <laughs> well, um, listen, it's been a bad morning. <laughs> I, sh- I completely forgot to ask you, but it did sound like you were struggling earlier. So I, I'm sorry. I completely no, no, derailed. I, I wanted and... you to ask on the show. Um, Tell me what's going on. Uh, So, you know, I love my cats. Okay. You know, I love them and they're fine. Don't worry. But <sighs> the- okay, listen, here's what happened this morning at like 530 in the morning. The animals woke me up because they get hungry and they wake me up. And sometimes I just give in and I go down and take them out and feed them. And I came back upstairs and I walked up to my bed and I was about to get in and I realized something wet was on the ground and I realized it was water. My water had spilled and I was like, that's odd. And then I realized that. So I have this pillow pet, okay, named Dolph, Dolph Uh Lundgren, and it's a dolphin pillow pet. And Mooney, Moonshine is obsessed with this pillow pet and like thinks it's his mom and like every night like sleeps on it and so last night sometime in the middle of the night Mooney was there and I was like trying to push him away because he was like clawing and being all you know in my grill so I I put Dolph on the side of the bed and said okay you go over here Moon and I went back to sleep I guess sometime during the night Moon pushed Dolph off the bed by accident and knocked over a glass of water a oh, large, no. large tumbler of water. And I hadn't noticed it till like six in the morning. And uh-huh. then I realized there was a strange sound coming Uh-oh. from somewhere in the corner. And by the way, th- actually this morning, Blaze was like, Christine, you had just cleaned your trash pile. Like there was not even a trash <laughs> pile. Okay. Oh, no. It would have been so much worse if my trash pile were there. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. No trash pile. So I'm like, okay, it can't be that bad. It's just water. And then I hear this noise. And I'm like, what is this noise? I'm like opening all my drawers going like, what is this strange? Like it sounded like crackling of a radio, like static and like hissing. And I was like, what is that? Is that like a radio? I couldn't figure it out. Had my flashlight on. All of a sudden I picked up my laptop and I heard it and it was fucking hissing and (gasps) crackling. And I was like. It smells like burning plastic, like it's burning. And so I guess somehow my laptop had been like on a stack of books or I I don't know, like next to my nightstand and the water had somehow like, like a lake seeped in and started like, I mean, like it was smoking, like sizzling. Oh my God. Like had you, had you gone out that morning, it would have been on fire? No, I don't think it would have been on fire, but it was like shorting out or something. I don't know what was going on inside it, but it was like sizzling and shorting out. And so I picked it up, obviously put it like on a bunch of towels and like just went back to bed because I was like, I guess I have to wait a few hours. Anyway, it's completely dead. Um, Oh no. It's completely fried. Uh, Do you have a warranty? Uh, yeah, I have Apple Care, but they don't cover liquid <laughs> spills. Oh no, Christine! And also, was your 
Was anything backed up? Yes. Yeah, no, nothing was backed up. And that's where my, I mean, I had Beach Tea Sandy episodes that we've already recorded that are nowhere else. Um, so do you have to re-record all those? Re-record the episodes. I have to uh, rewrite some important stuff I've been working on. <laughs> Oh my I, uh, god! I I'm using Blaze's laptop right now. It seems to be working fine, but I just want to warn everybody: I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'll be able to put a YouTube video out because that's where all my software was, like my editing software. Oh so my god! Everything. Thank God I'd already released the Zach Baggins video because oh my god, you would be out of sight. I, you I would be just... gone. You've been like, and I'm pregnant. I can't do this. Commit me. Yeah, I'm I'm pregnant. (laughs) The end. Okay. Is that good enough for you? Anyway, it's just been like a disaster. And I mean, I'll tell you more about it later because nobody cares about the details. But wowza, I lost so much stuff. Um, And if anybody knows seriously how to like rescue files off of a sizzling, like it was crackling like a radio. Um, And it's a MacBook Pro. So if anyone knows how to... (laughs) find my files please hit me up for real that's a horrible day that's a horrible (laughs) this is a horrible day i'm so sorry i just felt bad and i was like oh my god and it's not even the cat just wanted to cuddle with the dolphin it's not even like i could be mad at him you know anyway and obviously i'm like i should have backed it up but like everybody i feel like that's just like everyone's like i should back this up and then let this be a lesson though when you've got a little baby running around oh good point just saying like maybe this needed to happen so that way it's like i don't know something Mm -hmm. else really important doesn't get damaged because you left it out i don't know oh my gosh anyway sorry i know that's like so not as exciting as lizzie borden but are you kidding this is adrenaline inducing like the lizzie Lizzie borden thing had some mystery to it but this has fear like (laughs) fear indeed poor blaze woke up uh this morning and was like hey and pointed at the bathroom and i was like don't i don't want to talk about it because my laptop was literally like stacked upside down on a bunch of towels and he was like what oh, no. and i was like I, don't even go there i'm not Can having you just to buy a bucket of rice and just shove apparently it that's a myth for laptops so don't do oh, that okay good um apparently it works for phones not computers i looked wow. it up and they were like the one thing you should you do- look it up on your computer <laughs> <laughs> shut up <laughs> the one thing you're not supposed to do is hit the power button right away because the electrical current can like make it worse so of course i read that after i had hit the power button 25 times <laughs> <laughs> just want to warn everybody um also if there is no youtube video i'm so sorry i really did try um but maybe we're maybe if i don't know maybe i figured it out but that's that anyway do you have to rebuy all of that software and everything again too? No, because it was like Premiere, like it was like Adobe. Oh, so okay. So I just don't know if this her. computer will have room to download it. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, so we'll see. But anyway, it's just been a one of those days. <laughs> oh my God, Christine. Okay. Well, <laughs> I got nothing. But I have a recliner, so I might just chill out in that You've later. Got a little baby recliner meant for like a, a Veggie Tail or something. Um, okay. <laughs> If you are glasses wearers like us, or if you are screen lookers like (laughs) us, you are exposed to blue light probably daily. And a major source of blue light comes from phones, tablets, computers, TVs, 
candles, uh, LED light bulbs, pretty much any brightness your eyes looking at might have some blue light to it. And luckily with Felix Grey, they have lenses that can help you from any eye strain. That's right. Felix Grey glasses filter 15 times more blue light from screens than any other clear blue light lenses to help restore your balance. Uh, the original optical lenses relieve most eye strain symptoms from daily screen, t- screen time. And they also have these advanced sleep glasses, which of course are the ones Blaze has, that relieve serious daily eye strain. And they were especially designed so if you have to use your screen late at night, which I think all of us do, let's be real, um, it helps mm-hmm. improve your sleep quality. Finally, a pair of glasses designed for the 21st century. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash drink to shop glasses that work as hard as you do. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash drink. Free shipping, free exchanges, 30-day money-back guarantee. felixgrayglasses.com slash drink. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a story for you. <laughs> oh, I refilled my water cup. By the way, it was this cup. It was my... I wouldn't... Oh, and that's why we drink um, Tumblr. a little too on the nose. That's a yeah. little ironic. And I want to I tell everybody, don't worry. It's not like spillable. It's just because it dumped upside down in the straw hole at the top. 
seeped out over a period of hours. So I promise that um, this will uh, not happen to you if you buy one of these. Check them out. <laughs> ATWWDmerch.com. Not so bringing endorsement. <laughs> it, it will ruin your day. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, your turn. I have an urban legend. It's a quick one, but a good one. Yay. This is from uh, England in the Norfolk area. Uh, this is the urban legend slash ghost cryptid beast thing. This is the story of the Black Shuck. What's that? Uh, apparently, it is believed to have been one of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's inspirations for the Hound of the Baskervilles. <gasps> cool. Interesting enough. Uh, Sir Doyle sure loves sticking his nose in all of my fucking stories. He does. Uh, there's also, according to Cambridge Ghost Tours, this is a quote from them talking about the Black Shuck. Oh, and my mother is calling. Here's a picture of She's what like, she looks like when she calls. <laughs> Lucille <laughs> Bluth, R.I.P. Uh, I gotta hang up on her. Um, so Cambridge Ghost Tours says the Black Shuck is, quote, a ghostly black dog that has been sighted for centuries with large red eyes, sometimes just one in its head as large as a saucer, uh, and thick, shaggy black fur, snarling mouth, and it's an omen of doom. Okay, black dogs seem to be an omen of doom. I think that that's one of the creepiest symbolism things ever, the black dog. Yes, also buying one of our uh, tumblers is an omen of doom for your laptop. Well, Maybe. no, it's not. <laughs> Uh, some say that the black shuck should a black be cat a- though black cat might be uh-huh, that's yes. who did this to me so just to warn the, you uh, the best friend of the black hellhound yes so definitely related somehow some say the black shuck could be an escort to death um which like you said is a common lore that if you see a black dog it's mm. usually your escort particularly to hell um and others say this was a random i didn't find this on uh, anywhere else but on one source i did find that apparently the black shuck could also just be helping women walk home at night oh that's nice (laughs) which like i know that's that's the only time i'm gonna mention anything like that but um that should be the whole story i think if you if you see one maybe tell yourself that to comfort temporarily comfort yourself no no no. he's just making sure i get home safe and that'll be it so uh, there's one author named W.A. Dutt, and uh, they described the Black Shuck as, quote, to meet the Black Shuck is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year. <gasps> That's not good. No, it is not. Uh, he also says, I don't know where he got this research from, but apparently the Black Shuck is very fond of storms and that the Black Shuck, quote, loves to raise his awful voice above the howling of the gale. So oh. I'm, I'm hearing it's a dog that likes to have a screaming competition with other loud things. <laughs> with the wind. Yeah. <laughs> with the wind. Um, what else? W.A. Dutt. This is a, a very large uh, passage of his, but this is like one of the better descriptions I found of the Black Shuck. So I wanted to read it for you. The Black Shuck, quote, takes the form of a huge black dog and prowls along dark lanes and lonesome field footpaths, where although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound. So he's mouthy, but you can't hear him walking up on you. He's mouthy! <laughs> you, can, you can hear... Oh, you may know him at once should you see him by his fiery eyes. He has but one, and that, like the cyclops, is in the middle of his head. But such an encounter might bring you to the worst of luck. It is even said to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year. So you will 
So you will do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling. Shut them even if you are uncertain whether it is the dog fiend or the voice of the wind you hear. So basically, even if it's a windy day, just close your eyes the whole time. Just I'm, walk around like with your eyes shut. Just, just seems dangerous. Do, 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 do. Okay. Uh, should you never set eyes on our Norfolk Snarl Yow, which apparently is the nickname W.A. Dutt gave him, Snarl Yow, you may perhaps doubt his existence and, like other folks, tell us that his story is nothing but the old Scandinavian myth of the Black Hound of Odin brought to us by the Vikings who long ago settled down on the Norfolk coast. So from that quote, I was able to at least figure out that the lore is on a windy day. You might hear this black shuck competing with the sound of the wind by howling. And if you hear that, just cover your eyes because to even look at him means that you'll die within the year. Okay. Um, also, the one of the alleged earliest origins or references to the black shuck could be uh, that it is the black hound from Odin. Um, right. So because he compares uh, the Black Shock to Odin's hounds, I just wanted to give the hounds a shout out because apparently their names are Frecky and I think Jerry or Gary, but I oh, think it's my hysterical goodness. that one of Odin's hounds who like fights off giants and shit could be named Gary. Or Jerry. So, either one is pretty, either. pretty great. <laughs> like, damn it, Jerry. Like fight, the, fight them faster. So what is, how do you spell Shuck? Uh, like shock with a U. Oh, okay. Like shucking corn. Shucking corn. Something. Yes. Okay. But yeah, so just wanted to give a shout out to <laughs> Big Jerry, Big Gary, and Frecky, who apparently Cute. those words uh, translate to greedy and ravenous. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um. So, uh, but yeah, so one of the early origins could be that uh, it comes from Odin folklore. Mm. Um. According to Dialect Matters, the word shuck is actually Anglo-Saxon for the word. It's the Anglo-Saxon word skuka, which means to be feared. Oh. And another theory is that the word shuck in some places has a longer word, which is shucky, which means shaggy, which is what this dog is supposed to look Aww. like. Aww. So that's why they, it comes Freckles out Freckles and shaggy. Name. I actually kind of like this. <laughs> Freckles, Gary, and shaggy. Uh, so thinking about just because I wanted to look up the word chuck and what it meant in like old English times. I found some other slang from old English times. And just because the story's a little shorter, I wanted to know if you wanted to play a little guessing game on what 100%. some of these. Okay. Uh, this is a mental floss article. Also, John Green was featured in it. I don't hey. know what kind of weird partnership they had for this, but uh, <laughs> excellent. Cross uh, promo. It, cross promo. It was called 83 old slang phrases we should bring back. So I have quite a few here. I'll I'll run through just a few of them, but I did find some more, and that's why we drink on huh. brand words that I'll have you guess. But I just wanted to run through a few for you okay. that I think we should bring back. Um, so wet sock is a limp handshake. Yep. Uh, checks out. Yeah. Uh, happy cabbage is something that we both love. It's money for items you don't need, but it makes you happy. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I actually am not a huge fan of Cabbage Gem. I don't know where you got that from. I but. guess it's because, like, green, right? Happy green stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, happy returns is vomiting. <gasps> <gasps> no way. I love that. Ironic, because I don't think you're happy as it's happening. No, it's probably sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, a pang wangle. Oh, dear. Is to go along cheerfully in spite of minor misfortunes. So <laughs> like I guess show. I guess I'll go. <laughs> Just keep on yes. going. I don't know. And that's why we drink the Pangwangle edition. The uh, Pangwangle of podcasts. 
in the in the ketchup means in the red. Oh, okay. That, that make that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, to cop a mouse is to get a black eye. Ooh. Which I guess makes sense because like a black eye kind of looks like a little mouse. Like Does the coloring. It? Yeah, the coloring of it. It's like it's a weird little oval, purple, purple gray color. I don't know. I'm trying sure. to think like maybe it looks like a mouse on your face. Um, <laughs> speaking of faces, a giggle mug is someone who's habitually smiling. Oh. Uh, if you cheat on someone, you're going on a left-handed honeymoon. Ooh. Which is uh, mean to the left-handed people. Yeah, it's kind of not nice. And if you know too much, like if you're like too big for your bridges, uh, sorry, britches, bridges, yikes, uh, you might have bright disease or like you're too smart for your own good. Aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh. okay. My favorite one that has nothing to do with and that's why we drink. I'm just going to start with this one. What do you think they call sausages? Who? Oh, like in old-timey slang? Yeah. Oh, man. It's easier the other way around if you tell me the slang and then I guess what it means. I know, but I, I liked it too much. I wanted to be the one oh, to say okay. it. Oh, uh, okay. So- sausages are called bags of mystery. <laughs> Wait, if you had asked me what are bags of mystery, I would have given some real questionable <laughs> answers. So maybe it's for the best. Okay, here are uh, some, and that's why we drink. This isn't, a, and that's why I drink either, but I, it's kind of like I bags get to of guess? mystery. Yeah, I wanted okay. to. I wanted to hear your opinion on this. Okay, what do you think a sauce box is? It's uh, a drunk person. No, close. It's your mouth. Your oh, sauce okay. box yeah. where you yeah. put all the sauce, <laughs> or where you're sauced and your sh- stupid shit comes out. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then, uh, okay, sauce box. The next three have to do with, and that's why I drink in Subway. Okay. Um, so, what do you think "focus your audio" means? Oh God. <laughs> uh. Focus your audio. Shut up. I don't know. It means listen. Oh, okay. Yeah, shut up and listen. I... It it checks out. Focus your audio. Like dial in on me. Yeah, listen. yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think flesh creep is? Oh, d- oh. I want to say um, I want to say skin slippage, but I know that's not true. <laughs> it's basically goose cam. Oh, what is it called? Flesh creep. Okay, that actually makes so much sense. I should have thought of that. I bet you a lot of you guessed that. And then the third one is, what do you think a pine overcoat is? A pine overcoat. Maybe when the hair stands up on on end. Like you have like your hair stands up on end. It's a coffin. Oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I was like, you know, your hair. I thought I got it with that. Uh, a coffin. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. No, pine, no. I, pine box. I, got it. There was no way you were going to actually get it. I don't think so. I like it was. I just wanted to hear what your answers would be. But <sighs> so if in terms of and that's why I drink a coffin is a pine overcoat. Wow. Goose cam is flesh creep. And listen is focus your audio. Flesh creep is excellent. I love flesh creep. That's that's probably my new favorite. I so well, I, I hope to hear it out of your sauce box then. Sometime. <laughs> you will only if you focus your audio. <laughs> And then uh, just because this is also and that's why I drank, here are some of the old timey slang from this article uh, that mean drunk. Having your flag out, soapy eyed, seeing snakes, canned up, zazzled, which I think is great. Zazzled. Owled, striped, squiffed, and swacked. There are so many words for drunk. I love it. So I, I personally like zazzled and seeing snakes. Seeing so. snakes is good too. I like that. Maybe because so you see everything kind of like wavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe doubled. Uh-huh. Um, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. I guess John Green's an author, right? So maybe he was just like, let me, let me. And he knows everything also, right? 
Or is that Hank Green? Yeah, that's Hank Green. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, John Green wrote like Looking for Alaska. He no? wrote the he he writes a lot of um young adult books. Yes, is that true? correct. Okay. I think he wrote um did he write Turtles All the Way Down? I think he didn't he write Fault in Your Stars. Uh Turtles All the Way Down was by John Green, yes. Look at you. Wow. Listen, I love some YA. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh but Wait, yeah. are he and but, Hank brothers? Yeah. Okay. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Hank Green too. Do you follow his mind on TikTok? I do. He's very <laughs> fun. And he see that seems like something he would know a lot about as random old timey. It, it does. So I they, assumed they were the no, same. No, you're person. totally right. You're totally right. Like they those those two would just be so much fun to hang out with, I feel like. You'd learn so much. Green brothers, are you listening? um hello we would like to be friends with you uh so anyway uh, thank you uh john green and mental floss for that article this podcast is brought to you by squarespace the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account if you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue then get started with squarespace's new feature squarespace courses Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind, especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. So in another article, I found that the first written account, going back to the Black Shuck, the first written account, aside from it potentially being like Scandinavian lore with Odin, was in 1127, and Peter Barrow, Peter Burrow, England. Uh, apparently, this in this account, it was when Mr. Abbott Henry moved to town. Happened at Ugh. the exact same time as him. And this is a quote from that account. 
It was the Sunday where they sang Excurge Choir, which apparently is a chant. Oh. And many men saw and heard huntsmen hunting. The huntsmen were black, huge, uh, hideous, rode on black horses, rode on black goats, and their hounds were jet black with eyes like saucers and horrible. <gasps> so I'm imagining it's kind of like a headless horseman kind of situation. Yeah. They have their heads, but they're riding around. <laughs> Everything about them is like shadowy and dark. Uh, this was seen in the very deer park of Peterborough and in all the woods that stretch from that same town to Lincolnshire, Stamford. And in the night, the monks heard them sounding and winding their horns. Reliable witnesses who kept watch in the night declared that they might have been as there might have been as well as 20 or 30 of them winding their horses as they as near they could tell. So witnesses say that there were 20 to 30 hellhound things being chased by huntsmen hmm. uh and they stayed in the area through lent all the way until easter which was like about a solid 50 days mm. so people in 1127 were having a rough two months actually <laughs> Just... 40 days is it lent there is 40 it. days whatever my bad uh and the event that this comes from so i don't know if the account was like it it came across to me as if this was like a a, a, a real in real time real life solid account i don't know if it was like a from a book or something but it sounds a lot like this event where they saw a bunch of huntsmen uh, chasing after these mythical creatures it has a lot of similar literary literary motifs to um the wild hunt mm. which uh so the wild hunt was a concept in the 1800s by jacob grimm aka one oh, of the grimm brothers hey hey it was very popular in Northern European folklore, and I just used the Wikipedia definition to this. Um, there was a lot of definitions. I just went with Wikipedia's. But the concept or the literary concept of a wild hunt is that they, quote, typically involve a soul raving chase led by a mythological figure and or escorted by a ghostly or supernatural group of hunters passing in wild pursuit. And the hunters are generally souls of the dead or ghostly dogs. Sometimes they're fairies, elves, or valkyries. So hmm. this account, I don't know if it's legitimate or not, but it sounds a lot like it could have just been one of the first wild hunts that got written about. Right. And there have been other hellhounds that have been chased in wild hunt motifs before. All throughout the UK, this just seems to be kind of like a running folklore concept. So in Yorkshire, there's a hellhound called the Barguest. Uh, in Leeds, there's one called Padfoot, which I wonder if that has anything similar I'm to sure Harry Potter. It does. And then in Wales, there's one called the Cunanan. And uh, some lore says that they only hunt between Christmas and Twelfth Night. Apparently, they're accompanied by a quote fearsome hag named Matilda of the Night. So there's just all these like random stories about some scary mythological ghost dog. And hunt, huntsmen are chasing it through it's the It's interesting town. that it, like, crosses over so many different ways. Yeah. And those were all just in the UK. But, I mean, I feel like in a lot of folklore, wherever you are, you hear about, like, this, like, mm -hmm. you know, this battling against a, a mythological creature, you know. So. I remember the scariest ghost tour I ever did. And, like, as you guys can probably guess, we've done a lot of ghost tours. But the scariest one <laughs> I ever did was in Alexandria, Virginia, when I was living in D.C. And my ex-boyfriend and I went. And he like wasn't he it was not his you know thing. Um, I mean, I tend to I guess attract people who are like not interested in <laughs> creepy paranormal stuff. We're but, weird enough. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. We don't need more. Um, 
but uh yeah we went on this tour and uh, our tour guide was romanian and she was telling us like personal stories of the black dog lore from her hometown mm. and we were walking around at night in alexandria which is already a very like old creepy town i remember that night and i was sleeping in a dorm room i literally hung sheets on the windows i was so scared like i really yeah i don't know what it was about that tour but i think it was the tour guide she scared me so badly and she like (laughs) she knew what she was doing but it was all about that black dog and like it doesn't sound like something that could like truly terrify you but i was hanging up sheets in the windows like i was putting chairs in front of the door i was like this dog is gonna drag me to hell i don't know oh my gosh scared me so bad but so she from romania also had a lot of stories and folklore from where she was from yeah and i i mean also like if you told me that there was a a flock or a gathering of like a bunch of one-eyed dogs (laughs) chasing you in the night i mean and they're apparently like massive beasts like they're not just dog sized so i'd be pretty scared especially if i had no other like frame of reference to compare it to and And it meant you were gonna die (laughs) yeah exactly like why wouldn't you just want to avoid that just in case it's real you know so uh anyway all this to say that the first time we see a potential written reference in the 1100s could have been just a very early version of a wild hunt motif right Uh, right and so Next time we see a reference to the Black Shuck is actually in 1577, and it's the most famous account. Um, There's this guy named Abraham Fleming. I almost said Abraham Lincoln. Um, (laughs) You ever heard of him? (laughs) Honest Abe telling me this tale. Uh, So Abraham Fleming, he was a clergyman, a poet, a translator, an author. He was a multi-hyphenated god, apparently. Uh, He wrote a book called A Strange and Terrible Wonder. Oh, that's fun where he mentions the black shuck and this is what he says about the black shuck uh, about one of the times where it attacked people quote the black shuck entered two churches portrayed as the devil himself in dog form and at the one of at the first of two churches that it attacked in that time span it wrung the necks of two churchgoers so Whoa, it also has opposable thumbs or like, maybe with have... its mouth ah uh, I'm stupid. Yes. That makes not, more I mean, sense. Maybe that's thumbs. Listen, I'm not here to judge. I don't He's know. He's got Hulk hands. He just grabs you. <laughs> it's got fingers. Actually, if it had fingers, I think I'd be way more scared. If it was running and like you just see like it had hands. No, thanks. No, no, no. So the next day after it attacked those two churchgoers, it went to another t- another church nearby. And apparently amongst like thunder and lightning that was over the city, it attacked a second congregation. (sighs) According to Fleming, quote, the thing, and and I'm also paraphrasing because it was much longer, so I I shortened it down. Um, But Fleming says, quote, the thing entered, placing himself on a main beam, and suddenly he gave a swing down through the (sighs) church. And there also, as before, he slew two men and a lad. So he killed two men and a boy. Oh, no. And burned the hand of another person that was among the rest of the company of whom diverse were blasted. So I don't I think exploding and getting hit by explosion. I don't know. Sounds like another uh, euphemism for drunk. <laughs> <laughs> this mischief thus wrought, he flew with wonderful force out of the church in a hideous and hellish likeness. So he's just Yikes. going from church to church and he's like swinging from the beams, swinging, Tarzaning in. Uh, so on his way out of, on his way out of the church, 
the shuck apparently caused the church tower to fall because he was like being so chaotic. The church tower <laughs> fell off of the roof. He was and being it... so chaotic. I'm sorry. <laughs> it feels like he was really too jazzed. He and his many fingers just <laughs> knocking shit over throughout the town. <laughs> his many fingers and his singular eye. Uh, he was, uh, he knocked down the church tower so the bells came crashing through the roof. Uh oh. It really just feels like chaos. Yes, so. it does. Apparently, the shuck on his way out also left scorched claw marks on the church doors. Oof. And are, they're apparently still there to this day, <gasps> and they are nicknamed the Devil's Fingerprints. That's pretty cool. And the church, by the way, is called the Blytheburg Church. Ooh. And the uh, the first one where he wrung two necks with his fingers, uh, that was St. Mary's Church. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> the fingers. So yeah, the on the Blytheburg Church doors, they're still called the Devil's Fingerprints. That's pretty cool. Although a lot of people uh, think like, yeah, this is spooky, but realistically, those claw marks could have just come from normal dogs, especially. So there's one podcast shout out. It's called Strange Animals Podcast. Ooh! But apparently this is a quote from them. Back then, dogs were allowed in church, but they sometimes barked or started fights with other dogs, at which point they had to be taken outside. And many churches employed a man called the dog whipper to put dogs out. Sometimes by using... Hang on, it's funnier than whipping. Okay. Because every, everything is. But I was going to say, nothing's less funny. <laughs> th- this is what the dog whipper would do. Sometimes he would use a big pair of metal tongs and that were called dog tongs. And he would pick up the dog. He would grab it. He would grab the fighting dog and drag it outside of the church. <laughs> like a salad tong? I <laughs> What is happening? Imagine Gio is pissing you off and you just take like some big Paul Bunyan tongs and just oh, grab honestly, him. I might like, need some like, for my like bed. Like the toy crane at like a movie theater or an arcade. Like yes. just, the, just <gasps> craning it's him It's like one of those uh, things you buy at the zoo with like a dinosaur head and you can pick yeah. stuff up. And I can just sit, <laughs> sit in my bed so I don't need to get up and just tong him away from the litter box. I, it would be also like imagine the forearm strength someone has. Oh, valid. I mean, because a dog. Like, any Were all dog. the dogs chihuahuas or I something? I say even like, a chihuahua, you'd need some force. You need some, like, core. You need to go, <gasps> Oh, yeah. Like, that's why your I, legs. That's why only the strongest can be the dog whippers. I don't like the name <laughs> dog whipper. That part's not great. What else do you call them? Salad tosser? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> if you're using tongs... Um, right. I mean, there must be something better. King, <sighs> Kong, King Tong. I don't know. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll shop it. it. We'll shop yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So in 1977 is another reference. So we're really time traveling here. 1977? Yeah. Oh, okay. Our wow. parents were alive. So in 1977, <laughs> the black shuck was mentioned in an investigative scientific journal. It, they called themselves a borderline scientific investigative journal, which I appreciate. Love that. I appreciate the honesty. Yep. Um, it was called Lantern, this journal. And uh, this was a quote about the black shuck in the Lantern article. One of the legendary aspects of Shuck's character is foretelling death. The impression generally is that everyone who encounters him will meet with the misfortune, usually death, within a short time or else somebody else close to them will. Hmm. So uh, that's, again, another reference to, like, it's an omen to death because either you're going to die or someone you love is. I think what's what's spooky about it to me is that it's not like, oh, you see it and you're going to die. It's going to kill you. It's sort of like it's an omen. And then you have to live with that fear of like, oh, my God, is something going to happen to me? Like, I yeah. feel like that, that is what scares me about it. The psychological terror yes, is exactly. much exactly. worse. 
That freaks uh, me out. To be fair, just to add a little spice to the dread, some versions apparently suggest that if you mention you saw the black shuck within a year of your encounter, you won't die, but you will have horrible bad luck. And I don't know <gasps> if that's once or forever. <laughs> so. Honestly, and that's the other thing I remember her saying too, is like the more you think about it the and the more you draw it to you and i remember putting sheets up on the windows like oh no like i'm just <laughs> continuing the cycle i just I'm gonna like, hear couldn't. little claw marks on my window <laughs> i couldn't stop thinking about it oh my gosh uh, so anyway one of the writers for this uh journal his name's ivan uh ivan bun and he says that one of the people in his own investigative group actually saw the black shock in 1893 um 1893 yeah so i guess like this group has been around for a, at so least he's 100 like a 90 year old investigator okay it must be or the people before him that oh, okay, le- okay, left got it, stories got it. behind but this is a, a quote at rockland norfolk one night a man and his companion hmm, companion wink okay. wink <laughs> okay are we are we you know his roommate <laughs> <laughs> and his companion were driving along a lane Maybe Lover's Lane, as I like to think of it. When suddenly, right in their past, stood a huge uncanny dog, and the driver pushed on in spite of his companion's warning. But as the cart touched the thing, the I guess the beast, the air was alive with flames and a hideous sulfurous stench loaded the atmosphere. Within a short time, the overbold driver died, and Chuck has not been seen since in these parts. So this is also the first time we're hearing that he's stinky. Like, I haven't heard that before. Honestly, that description sounds like my laptop this morning. Like, sulfur, <laughs> smoking, fire. It, maybe, like, me like me showing up. Like, Bad luck. Yeah, Bad my luck. companion was there. I, yeah. What I don't get is, like, why did the companion keep saying, keep driving directly into that large dog? I just feel like that doesn't even maybe, make sense. Maybe it was, like kind of the the thought of like when you see a deer on the road like they don't say, slam on the brakes they say hit it like yeah because don't, like, like swerve yeah like as much but as I you feel like as much as you don't want to hit an animal like you have a better chance of survival if you just fucking like ran yeah because if you it. hit a tree you're gonna yeah yeah that's true but i feel like that's doesn't seem like i feel like that's a lot to happen in like a also i feel like that's a, i also feel like that's a driving wives tale that happened after 1893 like <laughs> true 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 yeah i don't, I don't know. know anyway i, I don't, don't know. know or maybe they knew what it was like he's like that's that ominous ghostly beast keep driving oh like maybe they right. didn't think it was a real dog they thought it was the if shuck. you drive through it it'll be a ghost and you won't have maybe. anything <laughs> it's i don't know it's a bold thought but you know what it Whatever. didn't work okay so <laughs> So there's another guy in 1908 who says that he was walking home once and he, quote, suddenly saw an animal that seemed to be like a large black dog. Uh, Wait a second. There were no cars in 1893, were there? So it must have been a carriage. Must have been a carriage. Sorry. That just occurred to me that we're talking about driving a deer. And I'm like, wasn't this in 1893? (laughs) Okay. My Uh, bad. Were deer in 1893? Like, at what point... Have deer been invented? Like, (laughs) at what point in their evolution? Were they still a fish? I'm confused. (laughs) 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 Okay, so... uh, This guy was walking home. He suddenly saw an animal, quote, that seemed to be a large black dog appear quite suddenly out of the hedge and run across the road quite close in front of me. I was just going to call it and send it home when it suddenly changed shape and turned into a black donkey standing on its hind legs this creature too had glowing eyes 
which appeared to be almost as big as saucers. It looked at it, I looked at it in astonishment for a minute and then it suddenly vanished. This sounds like a completely different creature because one, it has two eyes. Also, yeah. it is turning into a donkey. Also, it's a donkey. <laughs> so I don't know if this is maybe Chupacabra or something. I'm confused. Um, anyway, also in 1980, a guy named Craig says that one time he uh, saw one uh, charge across the road and apparently uh, when he looked out to it he saw it running away but then turned into mist and vanished before his eyes mm-hmm. and apparently it looked like a dog wolfhound kind of breed uh, it was quote wiry and either graying or muddy I can honestly say that no other dog I've ever seen looked like that and then also the black shuck apparently was so popular is so popular in the Norfolk area that there's one path called Tower Hill Lane that a lot of encounters have happened on. And so locals actually now just call it Shucks Lane. Ooh. And according to a news article called Hounded Out of Time, Black Shucks Lesson in the Anthropocene. Uh, <laughs> sure. There, this is a quote from that article. To this day, it is said that the Shuck roams during storms, forcing onlookers to negotiate the crumbling clifftops in the darkness as they are pursued by the thundering bounds and howls of the phantom hound. Shuck's presence on these cliffs is connected to the landscape itself and legend tells how the dog rises from the depths of the nearby Beeston Bump before making his way along the ridgeway where he paces the streets before leaping into the churchyard and disappearing. <sighs> and the only update since has been in 2014 where near those two churches where those people were killed by something we still are not sure of um, in the 1500s, there was a seven foot long, 200 pound skeleton of a dog found. What? And they think that that might be the skeleton of the black. Wait, shark. for realsies? For realsies. Holy crap. Seven foot long, 14 stone, which is about 200 pounds. Uh, a skeleton Seven of a dog was found in Suffolk near the two churches that the black shock allegedly killed people <gasps> in 1577. Scary. So scary. And that is the black shock. Wow. I'd, something about those dogs freaks me out. Um, I I definitely think this one is like for sure a lore. I mean, it fe- every like four hundred years there'd be a new written reference about it. That seems and it's like a dog that vanishes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a dark, <laughs> shadowy dog. It's but like, something about like the omen part of it freaks me out. Probably because it's sort of like demonic. Uh, that whole I feel like that's the part that has to have carried this energy the whole time. Yeah, like yes. it could kill you, and that's what ha- since could, the eleven hundreds. Yeah, I feel like people are drawn to, like, bad luck, you know, any sort of, like, omen that portends death or bad luck. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very, uh... Okay, also, just a heads up, the internet says cars were invented in 1886, so before everybody ats me on Twitter, I apologize, but I'm so just So they saying. were around for seven years. I don't know yeah, if they so, were so, like, who knows if he actually had yet. one. Yeah, when he would have had to be, like... When were deer invented? When were deer... It's going to be like John Deere tractors. <laughs> when were deer invented? Let's see. Oh, well, it's pretty close. Four million years ago. So I feel like that. That's a good breath range. I think. Yeah, I don't think it was like that long before. A guesstimate. We were pretty close. Yeah, we were now, pretty, pretty close. Now look up what school did M. Schultz go to? Because that always blows my mind. What? What school did M. Schultz go to? Has this just been like go to? It's like Google is. Oh, my life is clown college. I have never seen that it's before. Like Google is trolling me. Like fuck my master's degree. Fuck excuse my, me. My college experience. Says, 
clown college that's nuts <laughs> it doesn't even send you to a link that says clown no. college like google just has the answer available that is nuts i'm gonna type in what school did christine Schieber go to it doesn't oh, do that for you it-, it tells my high school no oh well now everybody knows i don't care i don't <sighs> well oh well. where did i like this question where did atwwd meet christine <laughs> where did they meet you wait a minute <laughs> Do you think oh they meant God. Eva? Like, where did we meet Eva? I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like a pretty deep question. But, like, you can ask, like, what, how old is M. Schultz? Like, nothing else pops up with, like, direct, I have an answer it from Google. It literally is, is it prepared. Says- it's a top. Yeah, you're right. It's not even a link. It's just, like, Google knows the answer, and you can't question <laughs> Google on this. Anyway, so That's deer were invented incredible. four million years ago, and I went to clown college. The end. This is, like, what else do you need to know about the world? Nothing. Nothing. That's all you need to know. Oh, beautiful stuff. All right, Emothy, I have a tale for you. A Tell spooky me. tale. This is the story of Harold Shipman. I don't know who that is, but I'm excited Okey to hear. Doki, I will tell you. So we are in the UK this week. We are in Greater Manchester hmm. uh, in a town called Hyde. And it's right around where the Moors murders took place, which I have not covered, but is like a big one that I've been meaning to. So it's on the list. Cool. So it's March 1998, and there seems to be a growing suspicion among local medical practices in Hyde. Undertaker Deborah Massey, uh, who worked at a local funeral parlor, notices that one medical practice in Manchester in particularly has had an alarmingly high death rate. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I love a good medical malpractice uh, story. So. If malpractice is like murder, murder, does murder fall under malpractice or is it's... malpractice an accident? Hmm. I guess malpractice is not an accident because that's the whole point is like you did something. Um, yeah, I think, hmm, I would guess malpractice maybe is more negligence. and like, Exactly. Yeah. And murder, like, you right. have to be the opposite of negligence. So <laughs> yeah. you have to be really intentional. I guess in, unless it's manslaughter, in which case it would be malpractice. Yeah, malpractice. No, you're exactly right. Negligent act or omission that causes injury to a patient. Um. So, yeah, mur- outright murder. I don't know if there's a term for that except for murder. Super, super malpractice. Super duper, ultra malpractice. Super unprofessional malpractice. (laughs) Doing kind of the opposite of the Hippocratic Oath, I think. So there is this like strange kind of feeling that this woman has, Deborah Massey. And she's like, there's like a weirdly high death rate coming out of one particular practice in town. Mm. So the medical practice in question is that of a man named Harold Chipman, otherwise known in town. As Dr. Death. <laughs> oh, okay. So he like already had the fucking nickname. He had a nickname. Uh, and can, you you'll imagine, see how... can you imagine being the person who's like, I have a gut feeling something's not right. Let me just check. And then you're like, hi, looking for Harold Shipman. They're like, oh, you mean Dr. Death? Um, and you go, well. Verbatim. That's what happens later. Is there like, we're looking into something and this woman's like, oh, you mean Dr. Death? <laughs> that's literally what happens. So. I mean, how else You're could it have gone? How else could it, for her to be like, oh, I guess my gut feeling was right, but I wasn't the first to have it. So there we no, go. No, for real. Like, you're completely onto it. So remember that. Okay. Remember so, the one time in life I was right? Okay, No, got it. you're always right in my book. Yikes. <laughs> That's not true, but uh-huh. anyway, the medical practice was of Harold Shipman, otherwise known as Dr. Death. He, Harold Shipman, 
is known as one of, if not the biggest serial killer in British history. What? Dun, dun, dun. I know. He would later be tied to hundreds of deaths of his patients, the majority of whom were women aged between 49 and 90. So he was like, he's one of the UK's biggest serial killers in history. How many do, I'm sure you'll tell later. I'll tell you, but hundreds is what you've got for right now. Oh, whoa. So like, this isn't like... This isn't Jack the Ripper. Oh, no, my dude. This isn't baby games. Yep. Tied to hundreds. Wow. So big, big time. Uh, His occupation was the perfect ploy. He was always known as a kind, thoughtful, friendly doctor at his family practice. He would always go the extra mile for his elderly patients. Uh, So a lot of them feared going into the hospital and never coming out again, which is something you see, I think, with older patients sometimes who are afraid that they'll be left at a hospital and not be allowed to come home. Mm -hmm. And so he put their minds at ease by coming over to their house to kind of like more old fashioned, like he would go treat them at their house. Um, And so a lot of people were very pleased with that kind of service. And he sure did that. Some even said that he would visit them at all hours of the day, sometimes even at night. And he would walk in and say, put the kettle on. How are you doing? And they would have a cup of tea and he would Uh. check in on them. But he wasn't visiting just to have a cup of tea and some chit chat. He was setting up their murder. I was going to say, is he cyaniding the shit out of their drinks or something? Not cyanide, but you're getting there. Arsenic? Nope. Okay, I don't know. But you're on the right track. Let's put it that way. Finally, a a case I can crack. Man, you are on top of it today, my (laughs) friend. Wow. Family members would later find their loved ones at home having seemingly passed away peacefully, uh, Mm -hmm. whereas the truth would obviously be a lot darker. So we are going to dig into the Harold Shipman case and the inquiry that followed. Dr. Death, here we go. So Harold Frederick Shipman, sometimes known as Fred, but I'm going to call him Harold because it's just easier, was born on January 14th, 1946, good old Cap, Capricorn, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, in Nottingham to working class devout Methodist Harold Shipman Sr., who was a lorry driver, truck driver for us Americans, uh, (laughs) and his mother Vera. He was the middle child and he was known as his mother's favorite. So he was a mama's boy. And when he was a teenager, his mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And this kind of like turned his whole life upside down. When he was 17, he sort of became her caretaker. Mm -hmm. And he would like be by her side at all times as she grew sicker and sicker. And they had a doctor. Do you know the term GP? No. Okay. I think that's a more common term in the UK. Um, I think I'm on so many forums now for, for like pregnancy forums that I just know the term GP. But it's uh, it's like a general practitioner, so it's like your primary care uh, doctor, P- basically. I was gonna say PCP, P- <laughs> which is also a drug, but yeah, which is also a drug. <laughs> but no, that, I, I, if you ever like, like, if I'm trying to get like a, like, sign up oh, for an appointment at a doctor, yeah. they'll, I'll see like PCP, and I know it means primary primary care, care. exactly. So it, in the UK, they typically say your GP is like your doc, your doctor, your like main primary doctor. care doctor. Probably easier because you can. You know, like you said, uh, mix up PCP differentiate with, like, between literal drugs, a, a, an illegal <laughs> drug, and uh, <laughs> a checkup. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a GP, or she had a GP who would come and visit their home regularly, and so Harold was always there, kind of watching as the doctor came by and took care of his mother as she grew sicker. And uh, she died on June twenty first, nineteen sixty three, when he was seventeen years old. 
And many have speculated that this event was a huge turning point uh, and would kind of impact the events that happened later in his life. For example, there are big comparisons between seeing this doctor administering morphine to help his sick mother feel better. And then later he was found to be administering large doses of morphine to his own patients. Uh So that should answer the question of... (laughs) Yes. What what exactly was wasn't PCP? Wasn't was PCP? It was heroin. <laughs> so, um, was he? Uh, is there ever any speculation that his that he killed his own mom and that was like his no. first victim, or they were no. really attached? Okay, he had yeah, he just had a reaction to that that people think fueled him because he had actually had no interest in medicine until his mother died, and then all of a sudden uh. he was like hell bent on becoming a doctor. So I think just watching the doctor like come by and nobody obviously really knows, but they think there's multiple theories, but a lot of them hinge on this experience with like watching a doctor take care of his mother. Gotcha. So uh, there's a a documentary called Born to Kill. And I watched this on YouTube if anyone's interested. Uh, And a doctor, Dr. Holmes, says that because he was managing his grief. Oh, sorry. I skipped a whole line. My bad. You know how I do my like really cha- like chaotic OCD chaotic. habits of clicking, clicking. I, uh, I I miss that. I miss watching <laughs> your hands have an anxiety attack at all times. It's sort of like the rest of me can compose itself if my hands are. Um, and it is. It is. I'm not just saying OCD. It's it's before anyone yells at for me. sure. It's it's for full sure. on OCD. Um. So okay. The da da da. So obviously traumatic event for him. He was 17 years old. And the way in which he managed his grief is that he would often go running. So the night his mother died, he went out running in his school shorts and shirt for miles and miles in the middle of the night, sometimes in the pouring rain. Uh, And this was kind of his way of coping with grief. And some of his classmates were like, it was super weird. But I'm like, I don't, who knows how you're going to react, right? Like grief manifests in very odd ways. Completely. I don't find it that weird. Like. To be you could just... pretty much do anything after someone you love died, and I would justify it. Especially like, as a no. teenager, like, you don't know how yeah. you're going to react to something traumatic like that. So he would run. And so interestingly, uh, in this documentary called Born to Kill, uh, which I found on YouTube, there's a doctor named David A. Holmes who says that because he was managing his grief by this intense exercise, which produces a lot of endorphins, it would have given him a euphoric high, uh, which mm-hmm. means his situation, he would have wanted to repeat it over and over to get that same kind oh, okay. of response which checks out it does i mean i think it's a little i don't know if that explains his whole like pattern of murder but it's an interesting theory i guess i think it's it sounds uh, i mean again i'm not a doctor but i would get it i guess i also because i don't know what any other option because part is, of me thinks but... like running maybe it's just a distraction or like something to get your mind off of it who knows i mean maybe it was euphoric i don't i don't know uh, i could understand like i could understand endorphins but I, I definitely don't think it would get you the high you need of like killing yeah that's exactly <laughs> kind of where i was i was like yeah i get that it would maybe boost your mood but i i don't know i don't know I, he knows more than i do i guess it's just hard for me to equate running with euphoria and i think that's why my brain can't comprehend amen and i do i do know that anytime you do work out you feel good about yourself afterwards so maybe he needed the run to like feel like some semblance so of like normalcy yeah there's or, definitely i mean endorphins I are definitely a very real thing so yeah maybe that is what was going on 
Anyway, so he's obviously heartbroken, and all of a sudden he decided he wanted to study medicine. Uh, a lot of people around him thought, oh, look, he wants to get into medicine to help save people after his mother right. passed away. Which is pretty common, right? When, the, like, if, yeah, if after I've seen you, that. After you watch someone go through something medical or if you mm-hmm. had, you know, medical experiences as a kid, you grew up to want to continue on. Pass yes, on. exactly. There was a Netflix show I loved. I forget the name of it, but it was set in New York. Uh, it was like a live, not live. <laughs> it was like a docu-series about. Live show. <laughs> live show. A Surgery. docu-series about uh, a hospital in New York City. And this one neurosurgeon who's like the head of the neurosurgeon surgery department was saying uh, after his dad died of I think brain cancer or something he was like really devoted to studying it and learning about it so definitely yeah. something but that's not the case with Harold as we'll see oh I see okay never mind so scratch all of that <laughs> at age 19 he met Primrose Oxtoby no he didn't yes he did <laughs> he did not find jk rowling's like lost character <laughs> luna lovegood's cousin yeah <laughs> primrose ox to be oh my god and does she become a werewolf by the end of this she's or something? literally an art and design student obviously obviously they're studying at the same university and like five months later she's pregnant so they get married right away they stay together for the rest of his life. Fun fact. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't see it ending that way. I know. I love that name, Primrose. Very pretty. I know. Well. So before this, according to a former teacher speaking to True TV, quote, I don't think he ever had a girlfriend. In fact, he took his older sister to school dances. They made a strange couple, but then he was a bit strange, a pretentious lad. So apparently he and his sister would go to dances and like, they would dance very weirdly. Like, it wasn't like they would just go as friends. It was like, then they would do these weird dances together and people were kind of like, mm. what on earth? Just You know how siblings, note. like, make up dance routines together? Yes. I like to imagine it's that. That's like- exactly, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> they heard Backstreet Boys come on and they're like, come on, they're, we know. They're like, we know what's Step about to happen. Step aside. Mom, get the camcorder. <laughs> we're ready. Um, so according to a report published after Shipman's conviction, he, after he qualified from Leeds Medical University and went on to train as a junior doctor, uh, after 12 months, he was able to practice medicine and that is where his first murders took place. So the inquiry later discovered that in October of 1972, he had killed a four-year-old girl. Whoa. Which was an anomaly because typically his victims were much older. Right. Uh, the girl was ill, and according to the documentary, the Born to Kill documentary, the girl's mother left the room saying, please be kind to her. And they think he took this as his cue to allow himself to kill her. Uh, like he, he misinterpreted euthanasia. what she said as in like, like give her mercy yes, or something. Yes, yes, like exactly. And I don't know if it was like he actually misinterpreted it or he used it as an excuse. Um, I'm not sure. And- and he definitely intentionally killed her. Yes. Could this have actually been No, he fully killed her. Okay, uh, got it. Like, within minutes. Like, his mother went to make a cup of oh. tea, said, please be kind to her. And he killed her. And uh, really rough because uh, the child wow. could have been at least with her mother when she passed. But her mom was out making a cup of tea for a few minutes and came back. And Oof, the daughter I was dead. Okay. Yes. So, in 1974, he joined a medical practice in Todd Morden, Yorkshire, as a family practitioner. 
And up until this point, he had been known to be kind of socially awkward. But all of a sudden, he kind of like blossomed and he became like outgoing and a respected member of the community. So like, I don't know if it was like he was maturing age wise or he just decided he started murdering people and was like, I found my calling. Now I'm Mm. now I'm like so fun to be around. Like, I'm not sure what happened. He got, like, real uppity about himself, like, real confident. Yeah, he got confident. A switch flipped, and all of a sudden, he was, like, really well-liked and popular and fun, um, which obviously was part of the reason it took people so long to even realize what was going on. Um, His colleagues had no idea of his malpractice, but the inquiry into the deaths of his patients took note that at his time in Todd Morton, there was one instance where three of his patients mysteriously passed away within one day. So that was later on looking back, they realized like there were some suspicious things going on, even if we don't know for sure whether they were murders. Gotcha. So overall, there had been a spike in the total amount of deaths in Todd Morton from when he was there. In fact, in 1975, deaths increased by over 50% that year when he showed up. (laughs) Oh my, 50%? 50%. (laughs) Oh, my God. I why know. Did, now, and immediately, I'm like, why did it take so long for people to I figure know. this out? It's really hard to believe. And alone, he certified 22 deaths over the 18 months he spent there. And it just wasn't suspicious because a lot of them were much older patients. And it was he was just able to say they were old and Interesting. sorry. I wonder then if he had interest in killing other people, but he yeah. kept, this was his safety demographic so he could get away with it You know longer. what? That's a great question. But he, like, he just... He kept with the older people so he would have the excuse. But I wonder if he was really looking at every, like, 15 to 20-year-old and being like, I really wish I could kill Right, because he did kill a four-year-old. And I wonder if that was, like, something he would have repeated if it were, quote-unquote, less, you know, safer for him. Easier to get away with. That's a really good question. I'm not sure. Because he definitely had an MO. But, yeah, it could have just been because it was an easier excuse. Out of convenience, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I'm not totally sure. Um, So he only spent 18 months in Todd Morton. Because he became addicted to opiates. Oops. Uh-oh. So there is a drug called pethidine, uh, which is a narcotic, and it's also known as Demerol. Uh, and I was like, oh, Demerol, I know that. And Blaze was kind of like, well, people don't really use that anymore. So I don't really know why I know about it, but I do. But apparently at Blaze's old hospital uh, in L.A., they had a huge sign on the wall that said, we do not prescribe Demerol. <laughs> Because it's, like, such a strong narcotic, I guess, that they try to avoid it. Um, Good to know. Good to know. Yes. Yes. So he, I guess, would prescribe this to his elderly patients. And he even overdosed one of them with it at one point. That was one of the, one of his murders. Uh, But so he became addicted to pethidine and it became uh, a problem. So... The granddaughter of one of his victims spoke out on the BBC documentary The Shipman Files, which a, a very British crime story, which sounds like an SNL skit to me, but it's the name. <laughs> it does sound a little uh, too particularly perfect. Doesn't it sound so on the nose? Uh, I found that on Daily Motion. I couldn't find it anywhere else. Maybe if you're in a different country, you can find it easier. But that was also really helpful. And so she told in disgust of how her grandmother had been visited by Shipman, the trusted doctor of her and her husband during the day. And then when Shipman went to visit Eva at the lion's home one day, he basically killed her in front of her husband using pethidine. And her husband thought that he, the doctor was treating his wife 
So afterwards, he made him a cup of coffee and, like, thanked him. Meanwhile, Ava, or Eva, was in the other room dying of the overdose. Oh, my God. So he was just, like, fucking around, and, and his patients were, like, thanking him for... And I assume getting more and more confident over time. That, right. Like, oh, look what... Like, he's not even trying to, like, get away. Like, he's, like... He did it right in front of the husband. Exactly. Yeah, he's getting really, really bold. Exactly. And, like, he's administering painkillers, so you can sort of look at it as, like, oh, he's trying to make her feel better, but I guess she died of a heart attack or mm-hmm. whatever, but they don't know the doses he's giving them. Right. So he was caught forging prescriptions for pethidine by his colleagues in 1975, and that's when they found out he had this addiction. And he was fired and fined 600 pounds for forgery. So wow. okay. that was pretty much it. Uh, he had two young children at this point, and he eventually got another job at Donnybrook Medical Center in Hyde in 1977. And they he was very open about his addiction and the forgery and his firing, but uh, a board of doctors kind of discussed it and agreed to let him join the practice because he had such a glowing report of being a fabulous, dynamic, and friendly doctor. His patients loved him so much, and he kind of said, listen, I'm sorry. I was going through a tough time. I had an addiction. I've, I'm have i completely past that. you know." So they gave him a second chance, basically. Okay. <laughs> Which nice. is like, yikes, nice. but also like, I get why they did. Yeah. If someone's recovered from an addiction, I understand why they were like, okay, you deserve a second chance at your career, but also I wish they didn't in this case. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, like, I totally, like, respect the choice, but as someone who knows how this ends, I'm Yeah, angry. that's, that's, it's like hindsight is 2020. So he started working at Donnybrook Medical Center in Hyde, and he worked as one of seven doctors, and he kept up this, like, r- great reputation of being loved by his patients. Uh, he built trust with them, and he would always go above and beyond Meanwhile, just killing them. They just had no idea. Awful. It sounds on par with our show, though. So Yes, I'm, it does, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. far, I, I can't say I'm surprised after so many episodes like this, but it, <laughs> you know, it's, it just doesn't get better. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. So he continued murdering and reporting the deaths as just old age every time. Uh, and it uh-huh. would become a myth in some people who supported him later, like, oh, well, these people would have died anyway. But, like, no, because most of them weren't even – there were only two who – one or two who were terminally ill. The rest might have been older, but they were fine. They were, like – Didn't you say the age range was, like, 49 to 99 or something? 49 to 90, yeah. So if you have parents in their 50s, like, those are the people you're saying, well, they would have died anyway. Yeah, or even, like, 60s or 70s. Like, my dad is 70, and he's, like – way healthier than i am and i'm like if he just died suddenly i'd be like wait what the fuck happened i'd be really upset like it's not like oh they were so ill that they were bound to die soon you know what i mean like it a lot of these were unexpected deaths um so it's just a myth that that is the case but i think it says a lot about like how people kind of view the elderly sometimes and how like Mm -hmm. oh well they were gonna die anyway it's like no these were people with families and lives and friends and activities and and also (sighs) like probably maybe healthy conditions yes probably healthier than i am yeah 100 percent. allison's mom i'm i think is 70 or 71 i would never challenge that woman at a game of tennis that woman yes same with my dad like he does more sports and everything than i do in a week um, a lifetime without question uh, yeah, she's healthier. Allison's dad is healthier. My mom's healthier. My dad's healthier. I every person I know who is 
several <laughs> decades older than me is healthier than me also. Yes, so exactly. So it would make more sense if I just like dropped dead. They'd be like, well, that tracks. Like, you <laughs> well, know. <laughs> it was bound to happen. Uh, yeah. So it's just like kind of a really dismissive and awful, I think, to be like, well, they were going to die anyway. It's like, no, their families are devastated. Like, whatever. Yeah. So that kind of pisses me off. But anyway, so because these people passed away in their homes, oftentimes asleep, their families kind of just saw it as like, okay, well, they passed away. At least they passed away peacefully at home, you know, thinking, well, they passed away in their sleep. It was peaceful. So people didn't question it. And they just, it's, it wasn't like there was a blood everywhere and someone had been strangled and there was a fight. It was like, they've died peacefully at home the way everybody wants to go. So they just thought, well, okay, at least it was best case scenario. Mm-hmm. And so there's a medical advisor on the shipment inquiry named Anise Esmail, as as my old, I think, who uh, talked about one specific case of an 84-year-old man named Joseph Bardsley. And he said, in the morning, one of his family had come to see him and he was fine, sitting in his chair, then giving him dinner. And apparently up north, dinner is lunch and oh. supper means dinner. What? Just fun fact for you. Okay. Did How you do say you supper? S- we said supper only because our neighbors, the K- Celine and her family always said supper. So we grew up saying supper for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say, so for me, supper is dinner, but dinner is fancy supper. Right. So like, dinner is like a more formal. Like, like Easter of... dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. Supper is just like, like come in for supper. Yeah. Or you yeah. go out for dinner. If you're at a restaurant for, yes, and yes. you're eating at night, you're having dinner. But if you're inside, you're eating supper. That's kind of how it was for us, too. Um, but I guess here, dinner meant lunch and supper meant dinner. Okay. Just a fun fact. So maybe I could just have a dinner and a supper. Which I was is actually like, thinking that. I was like, that just means multiple dinners, right? Like first dinner, <laughs> second dinner, third supper. You know, I'm in. Um, so that's how I got he, through that butcher box. <laughs> that's how everyone was like, well, it was bound to happen. Uh, anyway, so they gave him his dinner. What happened was that Shipman was on duty that day. It was a weekend. It was a Sunday. He'd gone to do a visit and then he's on his way home and he stops at Joseph Bardsley's house. Yes, he was elderly, but he had everything going for him. You know, he was all right, worked out, had friends and family. And yet Shipman chooses to have his Sunday lunch stopping by Joseph's house and he kills him. It says so many things about the power of a doctor, how you have access, the way you can just go in and just kill someone. And he left him there with his shirt sleeve rolled up, just sat in front of his dinner. It was made out that he just died suddenly shipman certified his death as simply due to old age so he's on his way home and he just decides he's gonna stop by and kill a man yeah so this um i i often try to stay away from like phrases like oh he's a crazy person because right 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 but this guy uh, really seems like bananas unstable of like oh i like at the at the blink of an eye you know all of a sudden he's like oh i feel like killing this person also yeah he just has an urge to kill i guess like a very consistent urge like mm-hmm. a, like not just like oh i've gotten my fix i can wait a couple weeks until i start planning the new one he's like i have an idea and i don't even need to plan it because now i'm like overtly confident in this and i don't even so care. they did say later that he murdered about one patient a month on average oh oh my god yeah and he was active for a very long time like he was a doctor for a very long time. Nobody so. started like looking at their watch and being like, okay, it's been 30 days. Like someone's going to die today. Are you <laughs> nope. kidding me? Because oh a gosh. lot of times they would be like in their 80s or 90s and he would just say, you know, it, he had an underlying condition. Nobody like. But I would. All, I I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you. But also I feel like 
if my ancestor happened to be in this space, I'd be very disappointed in them if they didn't think, hmm, before this guy moved in, how often were we getting deaths? Like, what caused it now? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I so frustrating that so many people died. Anyway, keep going. It is. No, it is. And I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, I guess you just don't know unless you were there. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to blame anyone. Cause right. Like, it's hard ha- to say, like, they should have known because it's like, well. But also, they should have known. Like, I just want to scream it. It's very frustrating. And again, that was like the convenience of having a lot of elderly patients. It was like nobody could like call the police and say my 89 year old <laughs> grandmother passed away. Like. You know in some I mean? ways, it's a perfect crime, but it's also just happening so often where yeah. I would just be suspicious. I'm just, I'm shocked that people aren't openly being more suspicious about it. Yeah, well, and you'll see why soon, why it was, why he got away with it too. And because I think part of it was that he was moving around. So he would be mm, at that right. one place for 18 months, but then he developed that addiction. He moved to another place, joined a group practice, and then he ends up next starting his own practice and that's basically where he suddenly has the power of no oversight Uh uh-huh he has his own building his own practice and that's where things so i think part of it is just that it was such short periods of time yeah that like maybe the pattern didn't emerge until later but so the Bardsley family told the inquiry later that when he died, there was actually nothing wrong with him they described uh this man what was his name joseph Bardsley. As fit as a butcher's dog, which is fun. Uh, But at the time, they thought it was natural. They just assumed he was older. Maybe he had a heart attack or maybe just old age. So uh, they just went with it. So like I said, in 1993, Harold set up his own practice in Hyde. And he registered roughly 3,000 patients. Okay. He took them with him. And by the end, they're all going to be gone. There's eight. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my but God. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he basically took, and those 3,000 3, patients, most of most of them were his patients that he took with him to his new practice because they were, Ugh. they liked him so much that he just took them with him. So if you think 3,000 patients in one a month who's pretty old is dying, like maybe wow. that's why nobody caught on right away. I but guess so. I don't know. Also think of how like narcissistic you have to be that and it's also being you're getting enabled to have this narcissistic yeah. opinion too because before they die all they do is think of how wonderful you are yes, and they love and it's you. Yes, it's extra and, sad. Yeah, and it's like cuz they're so dependent and like caring they, they care trust about him, him and trust him so much. It makes it really really sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was one of the most popular GPs in the in town. And a one woman on the BBC documentary said all the old people liked him. And another patient named Angela said he made you feel important. He always made you feel that it was important to him that he was doing the best he could for you. Very well read. He was always up to date with everything. So he's just charming AF. Like he just. Think of all the people who were not in his age bracket that he that went to him. Like there's got to be so many people if he was that popular as a doctor. Yeah. Even other people that went to him and a bunch of people's had stories of like oh my god like i went to him for like a stomach ache like high what? cholesterol yeah exactly that's a good point like younger people who but had so no many clue. think of like like how we get every now and then like a listener story is like my grandma knew ted yes. Bundy or something but imagine a whole town with like one of the most popular doctors yep like yep. i don't know everybody's about- dying to get oh that's a bad 
bad friends, but everyone's trying to get an appointment, you know, and like he's booked up because he's so popular. I don't know how big this town was, but in at least in Fredericksburg, there was only like three doctors and everyone knew the name of all three of them because either you went to one or your friends went to the other two but like so everyone must have had a story in this town yeah he definitely had a reputation and um he had three thousand patients i know the practice he worked at before had seven doctors in it so i think it was at least eight doctors probably more i don't know how big hyde is but i think it's outside of it's in like the manchester area so i think it's not a super small town from what i can tell um but what big enough or small Damn. enough that people knew him. Yes, yes, definitely. And it was noted later that he was so well-liked that a lot of the... This is where it gets... This is like exactly what you were just saying. A lot of the murdered patients were found wearing their finest clothes, their nicest clothes, because they so looked forward to his visits. <sighs> Jesus. I know. And so, like, seeing and talking to him was often a highlight of their week. So when he would come over, they would get dressed up, they would make tea... They would be so excited to see him. And so a lot of them were found in their nicest clothes when they passed away. That's were so killed. Sad. I shouldn't say passed away. Were killed. It's so sad. It just makes it extra heartbreaking. That they so, were like excited for the day. Yeah. And they really trusted him, like you said. And they wanted to impress him. And uh, it's just heartbreaking. Um, so the first official who alerted suspicions about Harold Shipman to authorities was Dr. Linda Reynolds, who worked across the street uh, at a group practice. And she was often invited to Shipman's office to sign cremation forms. And it became evident to her that Dr. Shipman had a significantly higher number of cremation forms than her own practice. Mm. And later, a lot of families said, yeah, he weirdly pressured us into cremating our grandmother, even though... For evidence, to hide evidence. Yep, exactly. Like, he pressured so many people into cremation, and so that was part of the reason nobody knows the final number of murders, because wow. there's no evidence left. You can only go after, like, the cremation paperwork, I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, that's it, and, like, there's no way to prove he did anything. So what struck Linda was that the majority of his patients who had seemed fine had died in the afternoon, fully clothed, often sitting in a chair with the door unlocked. So Linda talked to the undertaker, Deborah Massey, who I mentioned way up top, who had also been alarmed by the number of deaths coming from this practice. And also Linda called the coroner, John Pollard, who was like, yeah, we should probably flag this to police. So according to the Manchester Evening News, Linda's husband, Nigel, later said on trial that his his wife risked her and Shipman's professional careers by blowing the whistle on him. without like full proof but that's just how convinced she was that something fishy was going on and she did receive a visit from uh detective inspector david smith and they told her they were going to open up an investigation but of course in this town rumors started spreading and they got back to harold who heard that people were getting suspicious and uh, on the BBC documentary, one of his trusted patients remembers coming in for his 50th birthday checkup to ask Shipman how he was keeping up with everything that was going on. And Shipman said, take a look at all those, these wonderful cards of support I've been receiving from my patients and their Ugh. families. Like, because he was kind of suddenly under the microscope for, right. and he, he had a wall of support from his <sighs> patients and their families being like, we're with you. Like, we know you would, you know, you're a great doctor. Don't let him get you down. Uh, So that's how much he was loved. Like, people just couldn't fathom. Which makes me wonder, again, like, 
the fact that he had such strong relationships with these people and like knew their kids' names, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and like, you know, made them feel like they were super special. It's not just like he felt like killing and then planned that there was going to be this one person he really doesn't feel anything for. Like he had to, yeah, for months have been basically grooming them. Yes, that was the word they used, grooming. That was literally the word they used. He, it feels like he was either grooming them and keeping himself detached the whole time, or he genuinely had a bond with these people and still went to their house being like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And you wonder like if there was some twisted, twisted view of like, I'm taking them out of their misery, but like they weren't even really sick a lot of the time or not, not yeah, there. Like, you know? Did so... he grieve? Because he was like, wow, that was a really nice person. It's a shame I had to murder them. <laughs> Such a bummer. Or... Yeah, exactly. It's, uh... it's hard to tell. And like, and also, like, are they? Is he only keeping really nice, wonderful, enriching relationships with people he plans on killing, or is it everybody? And he just like picks out of a hat, or is he months yeah. in advance committing to one person? In that's which a case, great question. In like, which is case, this like, premeditated? How creepy is that? That like for two months, like you were, he was intentionally gaining your trust with the intent of you being dead completely, and then he goes. uh oh i'm gonna come over for tea and today's the day uh, it's yeah, almost I don't like know. uh as someone who does not garden i feel like it's someone <laughs> who like makes like who like puts time into making a plant and then eventually it's like too big and you have to repot it or something it's yeah. like oh this relationship i've built it built it built it and it's this beautiful wonderful friendship now oh you're it's prime time to kill you it's right for too the bad i have to dump morphine into it and yeah it. yeah <laughs> Ugh. it's it's a great question and like the frustrating thing is you'll see why but we don't actually get an answer <laughs> so perfect <fun> <laughs> uh anyway so three weeks later the detective david smith came back to linda said hey don't worry i looked into it there is nothing sinister going on and the inquiry is now closed hmm. so he also warned linda that shipman was quote a respected member of the community and she better watch what she says Oh, shit. Okay. He is a pillar of the community, and you should not. You shan't. I heard it. <laughs> you shan't put. Shor- shorn't. You shorn't put judgment on him. Okay, <laughs> Linda? Jeez. Uh, so basically, Linda risked her reputation and then was basically got given a slap on the wrist like, how dare you talk about Harold this way? Ugh, okay. And now Harold is also like aware that people were suspicious of him. Right. Like, all he did was tip him off. I mean, he's better about this. Exactly. So this investigation by, quote-unquote, investigation by David Smith would later be known as the failed investigation, is what they called it. Oh, okay. (laughs) So David Smith didn't get away with looking good in this scenario. In fact, he got a lot of shit for the way he handled this investigation. And so the inquiry, the later inquiry, the Harold Shipman inquiry, would report that the main reason this investigation failed was that the wrong people, a.k.a. David, were in charge of it. And the Guardian observed that if the investigation had been taken more seriously, they would have been able to save more than 100 victims. (gasps) Wow, that's really horrific. Isn't that bad? That's awful. So, like we said, now he's just tipped off, and uh, now everyone's like, oh, wow. And everyone felt guilty. Like, people even described later in the documentary saying, like, I had suspicions when everybody was talking about it, and then later, when he was cleared, I felt so guilty that I could have thought something of such a nice man. Like, he was this manipulative that he could pull this off. 
How gross is that? It's and disgusting. It, it is. In that time where he was getting away with it too, you know he felt like such a goddamn king. Like, yes, true. Ugh, that's so gross. He mm. was eating it up. Like he was literally being invited to tea at these places. I mean, and yeah. like I'm sure the apology gifts and all of this. And oh yeah, also, the love, the cards. And when he finds, when everyone finds out that he's done nothing wrong the word of mouth of the story where it's like oh he's this <gasps> exceptional amazing doctor he's i can't believe him yeah yep completely yeah and he definitely just took it and ran and killed more than 100 people after this Jeez. so the course finally changed course that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense the case finally changed course on june 24th 98 when 81 year old kathleen grundy who was a well-known and popular figure Within the Hyde community, she was an ex-mayoress, which huh. I feel like is that the... ex-mayor is enough, but I guess they called it mayoress. Yeah, uh, were we, it, are we, it almost made me feel like she was the wife of a mayor before just the fucking mayor. Oh, wait, maybe she was. What is a mayor? When was I mayoress invented? Is... <laughs> <laughs> mayoress, maybe you're right. Oh, you're totally right. Oh, wait, no. It says the wife of a mayor or a woman holding the office of mayor. Yeah, I don't like that it's so sexist it made me question my own, like, value but it's, of her. But it's like when people say, oh, a female pilot, and it's like... So well, pilot? Well, a pilot, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so I don't know if she was a mayor or if she was the wife of a mayor. You're totally right. It could be that and she was just the wife of a mayor. we shouldn't have to take the 30 seconds to figure that out either, we by the way. No, but... Let's just call we, her the mayor out of... Like, first of all, she probably fucking deserves it. And also, even if she was the wife of the mayor, I guarantee you she was doing more than that mayor ever did. So I'm not here to slander any fucking mayors. Okay, like, I don't know. I don't know what side of the political party this mayor was on or this mayoress was on. I don't know what laws they instituted. She deserves some perps. uh, Yeah, I think she deserves perps perps, whether she was mayor or not, to be fair. So let's just leave the mayor part out of it. But that just tells you how high up in the community she was and like how respected and well-liked and well-known this woman was. I hear you. So she was found dead in her home and her cause of death was determined to be old age by her doctor, none other than Dr. Harold Chipman. Mm -hmm. And he happened to be the last person to see her alive that morning. Not convenient at all. Nope. And one person who fully wasn't buying this story was Kathleen's daughter, Angela Woodruff. And Angela couldn't wrap her head around the idea of her mother's spontaneous passing. To to show how healthy her 81-year-old mother had been, she joked, she was just amazing. We would walk five miles and come in and she would say, where's the ironing? We used to joke she was fitter than we were. I mean, basically, we were just talking. So she's already feeling like (laughs) suspicious about this. But then she gets a tip from another local lawyer uh, who says, maybe you should check out her will. Mm. And this is what the will says. This is what her mother's will says. I give all my estate, money, and house to my doctor. (laughs) No. Are you kidding me? Okay. That is too bold. (laughs) What an idiot. What a dummy. Yep. Uh, my family are not in need, and I want to reward him for all the care he has given to me and the people of Hyde. He is sensible enough to handle any problems this may give him. My doctor is Dr. H. Shipman. And it was then followed by a signature that did not look anything like her mother's signature. Now, I mean, here's... Okay, sorry, keep going. Here's part of the problem. Angela is a lawyer. So... <laughs> okay. She's like, this isn't even... Like, even if you weren't a lawyer, this is like, wait, what? But she's like, also, I'm a lawyer, and I'm looking at this will going, this is not my mother's will. 
And Angela runs all of her mom's financials and everything because she's her mother's lawyer. And she's like, I know that this is not my mother's will. What on earth is going on? I, and that, you know what, that, by the way, just lets, that just further proves my point of like, this guy was getting real confident. Where he Too was, close to the sun. He was like, oh, no one will even notice. It's like the fact that you are not paranoid at all. You already just completely evaded suspicion. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the time to really like downplay whatever you're up to. So some people actually think in the documentary, some people actually speculated that maybe he was doing this to get caught. Like, maybe he had just gotten to a point where he, which then it's a whole other psychological thing, but, like, maybe he knew this was not a smooth idea and he just did it to see what would happen. What could happen? Like, best case scenario, he gets a house. Worst case scenario, he got caught anyway. Yeah, like, it's finally over. Like, I don't know. So some people, people are in disagreement about what that was, but either way, it was stupid because (laughs) Angela's a fucking lawyer and she's like, this is not my mother's signature and it's also not my mother's will. And uh, so she took the will to the police and in a first for Manchester police history, investigators insisted on exhuming the body for a postmortem, which, as we know, takes a lot for them to... Uh For a family and for authorities to agree to exhume a body, it's pretty traumatic, typically, for family members who have already gone through the process of putting their family member to rest. Right. Uh, So this is a big deal. And so the investigation was open. Kathleen's body was exhumed. And in an autopsy, they sent, sent, I think it was part of her kidney and maybe some hair or bone fragment to be analyzed. Okay. So Dr. Shipman hadn't been brought in for questioning yet because they wanted to wait for the results to come in. But meanwhile, journalist Michaela Sipford had been tipped about the police's investigation. So she went into town herself to do some investigating. And she said in the BBC documentary that straight away she bumped into two old ladies. And because Kathleen was so popular, she asked whether they knew her. And they said they did very well. And she said, oh, I'm looking into Kathleen's death. Do you know anything about her doctor, Dr. Shipman? And they said, oh, you mean Dr. Death? <laughs> so I that answers uh-huh. your question. Or that that basically proves your whole uh, skit from earlier was exactly <laughs> My on skit. point. That's exactly what it was, too, by the way. So Yeah. Yeah. Just it was a skit. Quick. It was called A British Murder Mystery or whatever they called it uh-huh. a few minutes ago. Bingo. <laughs> so they said, oh, you mean Dr. Death, do you? You know, all the old ladies die with him. He's a good doctor, but you don't last. <laughs> what? <laughs> so people... <laughs> like new yeah you know but also after this whole thing of me just screaming the whole time how did someone not guess like they kind of did <laughs> they kind of did and then went man eh, we'll let this play out <laughs> well kathleen can handle herself i yeah. mean yeah i don't know so sifford the journalist could not believe that this seemed to be common knowledge and that there was a possibility now that it was not just kathleen that there were a lot more So three weeks later, police received the toxicology report, and it is confirmed that she had a fatal amount of Mm. morphine in her body. Wow. Now, I want to tell you, this is another stupid, stupid move on Harold Shipman's part. (laughs) Okay. Because he used diamorphine, which is basically heroin, uh, and morphine stays in human tissue for decades. (gasps) There are plenty of untraceable poisons or drugs that you could use to kill somebody, that upon exhumation would not show up in the lab report. Okay. But morphine will stay in your body for like 100 years. So Fun fact. I had no idea. Yeah. So if you're trying to kill somebody, don't do it is That's my answer. But Noted. I will, I will scratch <laughs> morphine one. off the list. Step one. 
But yeah, so he's morphine. So like he's screwed. Uh, so they find this fatal amount of morphine in her body or diamorphine. I'm not sure how different they are, but diamorphine is essentially heroin. Okay. So in September of 98, Harold was arrested for the murder of Kathleen Grundy. And the fact that he was guilty was like so obvious at this point. Uh, at one point, he even claimed he had never seen Kathleen Grundy's will. You know, the one that said, okay. I leave everything to my doctor. Uh-huh. But then they found his fingerprints all over it. So they were are like, you kidding me? Well, your fingerprints are on it. And then he said uh, he's never seen it. But then they found out that it was printed on a brother typewriter. And she didn't own a typewriter. And he did own a brother typewriter. And he said, oh, she borrowed it. And they were like, well, if she borrowed it between writing the will, then when did she give it back to you? Right. Like, it didn't make any sense. So they were like, okay, he's clearly guilty. So this makes me think, too, that, like, that theory of him doing this on purpose to get caught doesn't make sense because he's clearly fighting getting caught right now. Yeah, he definitely denied it. So either he was just psychologically, like, you know how, but they say, like, people go back to the scene of the crime. Like, they do stupid things that they know they shouldn't do. So I don't, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know. But he definitely (laughs) denies it. So. This opened a whole nother can of worms because now they're like, well, are there more? And how do we figure out if there are more? So they start looking into other patients who had been who had not been terminally ill or had not been suffering Uh. from long term illness. And were like, huh, who died suddenly. And uh, they especially looked at patients who had been found dead with a cup of half drunk tea or maybe a cigarette or a plate of lunch in front of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. and they reviewed Chipman's reports so they found out that in the case of Kathleen Grundy Harold Chipman had gone back into his computer records and backdated all of her old records to say oh by the way Kathleen was addicted to heroin are you fucking kidding me okay well. <laughs> and the idiot also didn't realize that he was everything he changed was time stamped so like oh my God. he's going back and like time stamp everything saying she was addicted to drugs and all these people are like this woman was an ex-mayoress okay <laughs> she's not running around manchester scoring heroin like right. what are you talking about you know that's not what happened so they made a case to exhume 12 more bodies uh, of harold shipman's patients which okay. is like unheard of and these were all elderly women who when they died no one had reported there being anything out of the ordinary and four weeks after being charged for the murder of Kathleen Grundy, he was charged with three more murders who had uh, the bodies had been discovered to have died via diamorphine. And the BBC documentary observes that this is a murder story in reverse, one where we had the killer and one that forced families all over Hyde to consider the possibility that the natural death of one of their loved ones might have actually been murder. So it was sort of like a backwards murder case uh-huh. where they thought yeah. their, their family died naturally. And then they found out it was murder. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that's awful. Weird, weird. Like, also, so, you finally grieved, and now it's like, yes! oh, well, actually. Now we're digging up the body, and maybe this peaceful death wasn't as peaceful as you had thought. Exactly. Really traumatic. So <sighs> there was a family named the Wagstaffs, and they uh, originally leapt to Harold's defense, and they were like, he's a trusted doctor. He takes care of our whole family. However, Peter Wagstaff's mom, Laura, had died under Shipman's care. And so Peter was like, actually, maybe I should think about like the day that my mom died and maybe there's something to this. Mm-hmm. So Shipman had been present at her death and he certified that it was the result of a heart attack. And so Peter started becoming more suspicious. And this is how he described the day that his mother died. 
Driving to work, I see the... Well, this is him remembering the day that his mother died. Okay. Driving to work, I see the billboard outside the news agents, and it says, another three bodies to be exhumed. And at that point, I'm thinking, it can't all sort of be rumor and innuendo. There has to be something in this. So I think, I'll just check out what he actually told us when my mother died. He told us that my mother had phoned the surgery, and he arrived at my mother's door. My mother was gray and sweating, and he escorted her up the stairs and took her pulse, which was racing. So he phoned for an ambulance and went down to the car to get his bag. But by the time he said, by but by that time he said she'd then died. I phoned a British telecom and said, "Can I have the phone bill from 14 Rock Gardens on December 9th? I wanted to see evidence in regards to Shipman phoning the ambulance because he didn't have a mobile phone." And then, I think about a week or so later, the mail came with the British telecom bill, and there is no record of any phone calls to the surgery, so to Harold's office. Mm -hmm. So, basically, his mom didn't even call Harold. No records of phone calls to the surgery or phone calls to the ambulance service. So, if nothing else, he's lying as to what happened that day. So, he didn't call anybody. She didn't even call for the doctor. There's nothing to indicate that things went the way Harold said they did. So, by March of 1999, seven months after exhuming Kathleen Grundy's body, he was charged with 15 murders, including Laura Wagstaff. Wow. The court and police believed that for a jury to rule on over 100 cases would be too much, and they didn't want to give him any wiggle room to, like, weasel his way out of any of these. So, they just stuck with the 15 murders, and it was still... Even with just 15, just 15, the biggest murder trial in British history. Wow. Right? I'm still upset it's only 15, though, because if it's allegedly hundreds, you know, then I, I yeah. want him to suffer. But it's still, it's sort I, of, at least he got that notoriety. Yeah. So, so the, they were worried that if they did more than 15, that like his lawyers would somehow find a loophole or right. there'd be enough reasonable doubt to not put him away. So at least he was put away. But yeah, it's only a small fraction. Yeah. Um, and weirdly enough, since it's it's the biggest murder trial in British history, uh, but it barely got as much attention as like the Fred and Rosemary West trial uh, and a lot of the other big trials in the area. And it's speculated that, again, this might be just how we perceive the lives of older people, that it's like not as exciting when That's someone's bullshit. murdering older people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's a little bit, I don't know, a glimpse into... <laughs> how the media how how what we get riled up about and what we're fascinated by that this guy's literally one of the biggest if not the biggest serial killer in british history and like he didn't even get the press not that any of them deserve press right, but you know what right, i mean right right so wow. at the trial it was detailed how he killed each victim um it was pretty straightforward because there were no macabre crime scenes to analyze there was no uncovering of disposing the bodies uh he was found guilty after six days of deliberation of murdering 15 patients and according to most who know the case that's only the tip of the iceberg right so yeah i guess i guess 15 is still like over a year of deaths though yeah it's it's still a big list of people and a lot of families too um so at least they got some justice so according to murderpedia he was sentenced to 15 consecutive life sentences and recommended that he never be released He also received four years for forging the will of Kathleen. Wow. So, of course, now other families are questioning what happened to their loved ones who had Mm -hmm. also been treated by Harold Shipman and died under his care. So in May 2001, a full public inquiry was opened to look at his deceased patients. They analyzed a total of 493 deaths over 23 years. Wow. 
and they summarized that on average he was killing a patient per month. And the total number was likely to be 284, but <gasps> we can't be 100% sure because of, like, cremation and all that. Which plus the 15 would be 300 bodies. Uh, I think 284 includes the 15. Oh, okay. Well, um, still 284 <laughs> yeah. bodies. Yeah, but, Jesus. like, toss in a 15 more because who knows? I mean, that's just what they can, like, confirm. So terrifying. Terrifying. Like, uh, at what point do you lose track? Where you're like, how many people have you killed? And you're like, I don't know, like 284. God, like, it must be close to 300 by now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're really, it's yikes. It's a big yikes. I wonder if he's still getting like the same adrenaline high as he did the first time. Like you would think after 284, True. like it's just like boring at that point. I'm surprised they didn't get more reckless or more dangerous. Like the, the amount he was yeah. injecting. Because it was clearly reckless at the end there trying to get the will changed to, to him. But that seems like a one and done type of deal. Like it didn't seem like it was escalating to that. Yeah. And also if he hadn't done the whole will thing, like how many more bodies would he have killed? Totally. Probably a fucking lot. Another 284. 284. At 6 a.m. on Tuesday, uh, January 13, 2004, while in Wakefield Prison, Harold Shipman died by suicide. He hanged himself in his cell. And he took with him the knowledge of how many people he had actually murdered and any understanding that we might have gotten about what his motive was. Uh, a lot of his victims' families felt robbed, that, which happens, you know, when yeah. prisoners die before they get answers. It's sort of like he was the only one who could have told us any yeah. sort of information. So one of Shipman's colleagues remembers uh, Shipman once saying in passing that old people were a drain on the health system. But other than that, he never really gave a motive for anything. Um, okay. Others believe that maybe he was recreating his mother's death scene in order to satisfy some, like, masochistic need. Oh. Or that he could at least be in control of the situation. Yes. Like, he was control of life and death. Exactly. And watching the GP administer morphine, and then he would do that over and over again. Maybe that's what he was replaying. Um, but either way, until the day he died, he maintained he was innocent and had killed nobody. So, like, yikes. Okay. Um, so it was kind of controversial when the news got out that he had died. British tabloids, including The Sun, ran a celebratory front-page headline that read, Ship, ship, hooray. Uh, so kind of chaotic uh, energy there in the media. And he left behind Primrose, who he's still married to, and his four children, who, from what I can tell, they had a complicated relationship, but they maintained his innocence for a very long time. Uh, according to grunge.com, the closeness of Harold and Primrose, even as Shipman's guilt was ascertained, was eyebrow-raising. Mm. Quote, she attended every day of his trial and made weekly visits to Wakefield Prison, where some reports suggest that the couple would hold hands, kiss, and appear not to have a care in the world. And then the Guardian claims that Primrose baffled relatives of her husband's victims as she queued for food with them during breaks in the trial and tried to make small talk with, like, his her husband's victims' families. <laughs> Um, I, I, she even brought a box of chocolates to share with the victims in court like what like do you think the, the families were gonna do like they were just yeah. gonna look at her and be like you can go fuck yourself like seriously what are you talking about she legitimately thought he was innocent wow <laughs> so it was only in Prim, the big p Prim. are you kidding me like, big p rosy come on rosy rosy are you kidding me yeah, so uh, people basically attribute her behavior to pathological denial of her husband's crimes. 
And it was only in the final days of his life that his wife is believed to have suspected uh, Harold of any of the crimes because one of the final letters he had received from her read, tell me everything no matter what, according Ooh. to The Guardian. So they think maybe she was finally coming around and that could be one of the reasons he took his own life oh, is that like she was finally starting to stop be- start she was finally not no longer believing his innocence um some people believe that if he died before i think if he died before age 60 she would still get uh payment pension Mm. i'm not really sure but uh so they think maybe that's why he died uh but nobody really knows obviously and uh all four of his children have since changed their names after his arrest and it's thought that uh he potentially died by suicide to inherit this pension to give to his family and um so that's that there is a garden called the garden of tranquility in memory of shipman's victims and it's in hyde park greater manchester so uh you can go check that out and pay your respects but otherwise that is the case of one of britain's most uh prolific serial killers in history wow and what years was he active do you i don't know if so he was uh he was put in jail so he was the inquiry was opened 2001 okay sorry he was found guilty in 2000 okay and he began practicing oh god in like the 70s wow so 29 years i think they said total jeez and at least like his... 400 some deaths under his care so 400 divided by 30 yikes yikes and his wife at least it sounds like she's kind of waking up to it but also like can you imagine the process of realizing how do you cope with that i I mean i can tell i mean we're like you know jabbing at her like come on like get it together of course he did it but like i can't imagine having to really sit there and think like wow the person i have been the most intimate with in my entire life and have known for this long four children with could do this yeah yeah and i mean that that must be come with its own set of remorse and trauma and guilt and to to cope with that and to even just wrap your head around like your whole life you were with somebody you couldn't trust you didn't know you couldn't trust i would literally book an appointment for a therapist sit down and be like okay i've never allowed myself to think about this but i'm finally about to not compartmentalize this so get ready for a floodgate of feelings yeah you better have like <laughs> it's like i hope you're free all day hope you're free yeah. all day because i'm about to lock say the doors lower the blinds fire up the smoke machines uh like (laughs) whoa i uh no i i would imagine you would have to like book the entire day and be like i'm about to in real time process this with you so get ready yeah uh that must be just a lot so here we are Mm. yikes yikes indeed so that's the story and um guess what folks next week is our birthday episode so get ready sharp left turn yes. sharp left turn there was a lull in conversation so i made it about us <laughs> that's totally fine wow no yes it is our birthday next uh week yikes i hate it um no you don't we love our birthdays i love my birthdays but i wish i was going i was dropping an age not rising well so does everybody but you know what at I, least you're still in your 20s for another 365 days that is the truth Although I'm already in my 30th year, so, That's you know, true. or I will have been when this comes out. But anyway, yep. uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to presents galore. That's that's what's really keeping me alive galore. during this. Presents and events galore. So Turn on the smoke machine. Fire up the smoke machine. Put on your heels. Uh, 
and yeah, I'm 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 excited to uh, have a reason to celebrate myself because Yay! Gemini season. Yay! All right. Uh, see y'all there at our birthday bash, and <laughs> that's why we drink. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.